0: Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Today, we've got a great guest from Congress Guy Reschenthaler, a congressman from Pennsylvania, Republican, Navy veteran, a judge, a lawyer, a state representative, and now a congressman. He's been one of the most vocal opponents of China in Congress, trying to get the American public and his colleagues in the Congress to see the threats that China poses to American sovereignty and to start to take action. He's got a new law, he's here to talk about it, what he sponsored and what he's trying to get done in Congress. You don't want to miss that. And when we come back from the commercial break, uh, I know we've all been uh, dismayed by all of the rioting and the protesters and the division and the BLM and the uh, taking down of the statues and the erasing of history. I've got an essay by a former wounded warrior that you just have to listen to. It reminds us that even with all of our strife, all of our problems, America is still the greatest country. And when you're on a battlefield and when you're all alone, it doesn't matter what race, creed, color you are, the American flag is what bonds us all together. The American uh, spirit is what um, keeps us going. Uh, This essay by a wounded warrior will touch your heart. It certainly touched mine. And I want to share it with you before we get to Guy Reschenthaler, the congressman from Pennsylvania. So we'll go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll be talking to Guy Reschenthaler, the congressman from Pennsylvania. But And we'll hear a very touching, moving essay written by a former war, wounded warrior whose uh, thoughts on what makes America great hit my heart. Hit a lot of others, too, because his essay went viral on Facebook. Uh, but we'll read it to you and you'll see what I what I mean. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Yes, we've got a busy podcast here. Guy Resenthaler will be with us in a few minutes. Congressman from the Pittsburgh area of Pennsylvania, a Republican, a war hero, served in Iraq war with the Navy. Uh, It was a JAG, uh, has been a judge, has been an attorney, a state um, senator, and now a congressman from Pennsylvania. He'll be joining us to talk about his new law uh, that he has sponsored to block anyone who's been a member of the Chinese Communist Party from becoming an American citizen. and He'll tell you why he's doing that, and uh, we'll talk about lots of other things happening in Washington. But first, I wanted to um, take a break from all of the breaking news and, uh, and just celebrate something that reminds us as we head into the 4th of July, what still makes us great as a country. All of this strife that we've been seeing, COVID-19, protests, riots, statues falling down, um, angry language, fires burning, um, all of that has uh, been a distraction. It's been painful to watch. But comradeship and patriotism still ring large in our country. And there was a army ranger, a retired officer named Jim Lechner. He was wounded back in the Battle of Mogadishu in Somalia back in 1993. So one of our wounded warrior harrier, uh, uh, heroes and uh, one of our Wounded Warrior Heroes, and he um, took a look at everything we've been going through the last few weeks, and he posted this small essay on uh, Facebook. It's just a few hundred words, but it says more eloquently than I ever could uh, why America is still the greatest country, and why with all of the restlessness and fighting and infighting and talk of racial strife that we're going through right now, that we still have the greatest country in America, and we shouldn't forget that. Um, So I'm just going to read it to you. I don't think there's anything more I need to say, and then we'll go to a commercial break and bring back the congressman. All right, here it is. Jim Lechner, wounded warrior, wounded in the Battle of Mogadishu in Somalia, 1993. Here is his essay. I miss the battlefield, not the burning heat, the ache of heavy armor, or the cold darkness of hostile ground. I miss the clarity. We were fighting an enemy who, though often vile, was completely clear on his cause and his beliefs. They were willing to live hard and die hard for what they believed in, no matter how misguided. Most of all, I miss Americans. In a war between tribes, religions, sects, and ideologies, the enemy often churned, blended, twisted, and turned. But Americans were like rocks, Gibraltars in a storm. In the midst of the chaos, Americans were handholds on the cliff, Bridges over the abyss of terrorism and treachery. The battlefield is the great crucible. On our battlefields, the one virtue that mattered was an American would stand fast and have your back. The bond and the lifeline in combat were other Americans. The Americans to your left, to your right, had no hyphens. I scanned for NODs and Kevlars, not faces or skin. In a street or alley on the side of a mountain or a sand berm, all I looked for was an American uniform with a shoulder flag. The camouflage and combat literally and figuratively melted everything else together. No race, no religion, no politics. Just Americans. There is clarity and physical purity in that. Today at home in the United States, I miss the battlefield. Wow, those are some pretty powerful words by a war hero, Jim Lechner, wounded in the Battle of Mogadishu in Somalia 1993, looking out over all of the strife that we've seen here today. It's guys like Jim that make this country great. It's guys like Jim that will help us take this country back from all the chaos we're experiencing. We've been through worse than we've experienced in the last few months. We're, we're a strong, incredible country, and we can't let this division harm us, hurt us, divide us, most importantly, can't divide us. In that uh, battlefield, Jim Lechner said exactly right. All you need to remember is we're all Americans and we've got each other's back. We ought to try that this weekend as we head into the 4th of July. Remember how much we have in common, that there's much more that binds us together than divides us. There's much more in America that's great than what we're ashamed of. There's much more in America that we can fix and we can do it through the ingenious spirit of the American way. And we can get things done without having to have all this strife, without all this anger and hate. Without all of this vitriol, violence, and burning flags, burning fires, looting stores, we're better than this. And thanks to Jim Lechner, an Army Ranger, uh, we certainly, certainly are reminded of that by his amazing essay that he posted on Facebook. If you go to justthenews.com, you can see that essay. It starts with the headline: "I miss the battlefield." Warriors' lament on social media resonates with combat veterans. Army Ranger Jim Lechner. On behalf of John Solomon and John Solomon Reports, the podcast, thank you for your wise and sage words. We'll be right back after the commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to have Congressman Guy Ressenthaler with us. Lots to talk about China, politics, police reform, the elections. You don't want to miss this great interview with the congressman right after this commercial break. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, Congressman Guy Reschenthaler, is joining us. He's a great Republican from the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, Congressman, welcome to the show.
1: John, thanks for having me on. But please just call me Guy.
0: All right. It's a deal. We'll call you guy or congressman. That's probably my normal training. Uh, well, first off, let, let me say this because I, I, um, I'm always proud of what I've accomplished. But when I read your bio, I kind of feel like an underachiever. I mean, what, what a remarkable biography. Let's see if I have all these titles right. You were an attorney, a judge. You served in the Navy in Iraq. Uh, you were in the Pennsylvania State Senate. And now you're a congressman and you're not even 40 years old if I'm doing my math right? Right.
1: Right, I'm 37. Uh, just uh, you know, I've been in the right place at the right time. But I've been very fortunate. Uh, went into the Navy right out of college and uh, volunteered right. to deploy to Iraq and got to prosecute terrorists in the Central Criminal Court of Iraq. So again, I've just been very fortunate, and timing's just timing is everything in politics, and a lot, a lot of times it worked out for me.
0: Well, we thank you for your public service. That service in Iraq was important work, and of course, what you do every day in the Congress is important. But uh, I just wanted to introduce our listeners to to your great bio because you've you've done so much uh, already at such a such an early age. We're really lucky to to have people like you in public service. Um, well, thanks. Tom. All right, so. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, so one of the things that um, you've uh, you're on the, the China task force, which is such an important thing, but you introduced legislation recently that a lot of our listeners and readers at Just the News have been talking about the end Chinese Communist Citizenship Act. Uh, that's getting a lot of talk in town. And I wonder if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about what inspired it and what it intends to do.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd love to. And I can talk about the China Task Force as well and and just what that is aiming to do. But in particular, the End Chinese Communist Citizenship Act is really designed to make sure that members of the CCP, of course, the Chinese Communist Party, that they are not eligible to become U.S. citizens. And there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons for that. We can talk about it. But um, right now in our law, You're actually not allowed to become a citizen. You're not allowed to get a green card if you're a member or if you're affiliated with a Communist Party, or frankly any totalitarian uh, party around the world. But for whatever reason, our government and some unelected bureaucrats don't consider the CCP a, a communist party even though it is called the chinese communist party so this clarifies that the ccp is part of that prohibition and then we eliminate two exemptions because right now you're exempt from uh this prohibition if you're an individual that has terminated ties with the party and you're also exempt if you have a relative here in the united states that's a, that's a u.s citizen so it takes away those two exemptions And it clarifies that the CCP is, in fact, a communist party.
0: Wow, it's hard to imagine that bureaucrats wouldn't consider the Chinese Communist Party a communist party. But I guess uh, that's why we have lawmakers to fix the oversights like that. Um, It's remarkable what we've learned. And I think, you know, I look back now at uh, the decade of, you know, actually maybe two decades from the early 2000s to the present. And there was this belief In in America, maybe because it worked in the Soviet Union in the fall of the Soviet Union, that if we just became friendly with China, that they would turn away from communism and uh, be our friend and uh, we would make uh, China a true democracy. And in fact, that calculation uh, has turned out to be very wrong. They're very persistent, the Chinese are, in pursuing their agenda, and they've made enormous inroads into the American uh, society. They own large parts of American companies now. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the changing sentiments in Congress. I mean, 20, 20 years ago, the globalist argument was the thing. Well, China will come our way. They're not a threat. And now we're beginning to see, you know, from the securities uh, issues with their communications equipment in our country to what they do on the stock market, uh, to the spying that we've now seeing in these uh, academic programs where the justice department recently brought cases. Um, it seems as though uh, a lot of politicians are awakening to the idea that, that China poses much more of a threat than we appreciate it. Uh, do you see that on your side?
1: John, I, I absolutely see it that way. And you did a good job just with the historical context of this because we in the West have truly misjudged, uh, mischaracterized uh, our relationship with China. We always think that free markets dictates that you have a free people. And that's been our general uh, school uh, school of thought. When we let China into the World Trade Organization, we thought that the free trade, the commerce, them uh, freely trading with us would westernize China. And in a lot of ways, it's actually done the exact opposite, where now they've grown their economy. They've grown this authoritarian state, and they've taken a lot of technology from the West, and they've adopted it not to uh, give their people freedom, not to give their people a voice like we have in the United States but to enhance the, um, the police state that, that is China and to strengthen the CCP control over the population. And you see it especially in Western China with the Uyghurs, which we can talk about because they use this technology to uh, really uh, engage in brutal crackdowns on the Uyghurs. They, they put them in concentration camps and they, they really have a surveillance state in uh, Western China. So, so we have misgaged China. Um, we've also misunderstood their hostility toward the West, and we can get into that. But for the last twenty years, we have shifted our focus to, um, to the Middle East. And uh, as a veteran of Iraq, somebody who who was in Baghdad, and someone who was a, a freshman when nine eleven happened in college, I can see why our worldview shifted to the Middle East. But during that twenty year period when we were involved in Iraq and Afghanistan. China really used that in an ability to consolidate and expand their own power not just in terms of economic strength they've also used it in in to build up their prowess. they're going uh, they're trying to build a six fleet uh, carrier which would mean they would they would have a blue water navy, meaning they can project naval power um, outside of their territorial waters so they can um, threaten our supremacy in in the Pacific Ocean. They've used it to enhance their police state. Um, We see them making uh, inroads with uh, Huawei uh, to get a backdoor to spy on us. And they've also had incredible gains in uh, cyber warfare as well. So this is a huge problem, but we're going to have to confront this on many different levels. This is a multifaceted problem. But just taking it back to the end, Chinese Communist Citizen uh, Act, Act, or Citizenship Act, we need to make sure that the Chinese stop sending individuals to the United States with the explicit plan of spying on us. And I'm just not talking about our colleges, colleges and universities. They are engaged in um, espionage at a corporate level. Uh, so that has to stop. And I'd be glad to talk about some examples or how they do that. They, there's a thing called the uh, Thousand Talents Program. Right. We've been
0: talking a lot says. about that here. Yeah, that's a big program. Okay. We've seen a couple prosecutions.
1: Uh, yes, we, we've had prosecutions. And you see what, what they're doing with that Thousand Talents Program where – the Chinese are playing playing our colleges and universities, and sometimes, often, the colleges and universities are complicit in it because what they do is the professors, the institutions will apply to the United States government for grants or the Department of Defense for grants. We fund this research, but then there's this shadow program where the Chinese Communist Party goes in, and they'll either just overtly pay the college college professor that's running the research program, or they'll send over a graduate student or an undergraduate student. uh, And then sometimes they just outright give huge gifts that are a lot. sometimes unreported. We're talking six or seven billion dollars in unreported gifts to universities such as Yale, MIT, Harvard, uh, Cornell, you name it. And so what they'll do is they'll put pressure on these universities to then hand over the research. So you have this perverse, perverse incentive from the United States where we are funding this research, and a lot of it is defense-related. And then the Chinese are coming over and wooing and buying off these colleges and universities. And then that technology and the gains are going to mainland China. So we are losing our technological edge. and as, And as we fund more and more research, the Chinese get more and more caught up in a, on a level playing field with us because we're being sold out by these colleges and universities. And of course, the Chinese have done an incredible job on the Thousand Talents program, and the mainstream media doesn't report on this.
0: It is remarkable. You know, I, I go back 20 years. I, I came to Washington in 91, and uh, some of my early reporting at the Associated Press in the mid-90s gave rise to the uh, Asia fundraising scandal that dogged the Democratic Party during the Bill Clinton years. And Believe it or not, we saw some of the exact same things. These fundraisers, Johnny Chung and John Wong, they were coming in. They were using money to get inside the Democratic establishment. And their real goal was to, to spread influence and, and get intelligence back to their friends in China about uh, what was going on. Uh, and yet, after that scandal, you would think we would all put our guard up a little bit more. But it seems like we went through another two decades of kind of keeping our defenses down. And China continues to make enormous gains do you think that we're at a tipping point? Was the coronavirus moment uh, a tipping point where Democrats and Republicans alike said, you know what, we got to take this a little more seriously?
1: Not for the Democrats. It wasn't a tipping point. The Democrats continue to treat the CCP with kid gloves. They refuse to acknowledge the issue that China poses. But the American people are waking up to it. And surveys and polling data shows that the vast majority of Americans recognize that China is an adversary, that they're a threat. Uh, Just frankly, like Russia is. Um, So the population is way ahead of the Democrat Party. And I'll give you a good example, John. You know, in February, we were talking about having this China task force. And the idea was to get three or four, maybe five Democrats, three or four or five Republicans. We would get uh, Chairman Engel of the Foreign Affairs Committee and ranking member on foreign affairs, uh, Mike McCall. And they would co-chair this China task force. Nancy Pelosi sat on her hands. She slow played this for months. And finally, Leader McCarthy just said, you know what? You can send us members, but we're going to stand up that task force on our own. So we now have 15 Republican members. We have five different pillars within that, so subcommittees. And it's led by Chairman McCall. And the entire idea is to take all the information from think tanks and experts. We have multiple briefings a week and we want to take all this information. We want to assess the challenges that China poses to us uh, militarily, economically, in terms of cyberspace, even ideology on the ideological front. And we want to distill that down and come up with a slew of bills. And we want to put those bills into law. If we can't get it done, this Congress we're going to do it next Congress when, when hopefully we have Speaker Kevin McCarthy, not, not Nancy Pelosi. But it's time that we take leadership and that we move forward on this issue because we've been asleep far too long. The Chinese declared a pseudo cold war on us years ago, um, arguably two or three decades ago. We've refused to acknowledge that, much like we refused to acknowledge al-Qaeda declaring war on, war on us back in the 90s and then we were awoken on 9 11 So I think that now people understand with COVID-19 and how that was mismanaged by the CCP, people are now awakened to the fact that China is a threat on many different fronts. It's time for the Democrats to get on board. But as we wait for the Democrats, the Republicans are going to take leadership on this.
0: Yeah, well, it's uh what are those you know, I I didn't realize there were five pillars. What are the five pillars that the task force are really drilling down on cuz I think it would help people understand the various issues that, you know, we need to uh reconcile with China. What are those five pillars?
1: So the five pillars and, and I'm on two of them is national security. I'm on, I'm on that one. Then you have economics. I'm on that one as well. Uh you have you have education, you have um you have tech and you have ideology. And they all go, they all go together, hand in hand, and everyone is on two, or, two or different three subcommittees, and our briefings are focused largely within those committees. But those are the, really the five areas that we view as the conflict points with China and where we really need to, uh, to make strides. It's interesting because, because um, there's a there's a sixth one that really doesn't fit into any of those, and that's fentanyl. Um, oh sure. So we are looking at that through. National security is looking at that, but that was a close sixth pillar that just basically got put in national security. But as you know, fentanyl is a huge problem. The Chinese import it into the United States. It's incredibly dangerous, so dangerous. In fact, drug-sniffing dogs can just die from sniffing it. And in western Pennsylvania, where I'm from, we have a lot of overdoses by fentanyl, and the Chinese are not taking this seriously.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. That's been a scourge all through the middle of America and uh, directly attributable to the Chinese fentanyl uh, runners who bring in this stuff into the country. Uh, you talk about the democratic resistance to what you guys are trying to do. You, you you reached out with a bipartisan hand. There wasn't a response. What's interesting about the politics of this is that if you just strip away the national interest, which we should all be concerned about, what's in the best interest of America, and you just look at the pure politics, these um, these issues involving China directly affect the blue state base, right? You've got jobs that have been lost for two decades because of the un- imbalance in trade to China. And then you have issues like human rights, which are incredibly um, important allegedly to the liberal base, particularly to young millennials who've been big human rights champions. And yet, uh, the Democrats seem to want to turn a blind eye to what the Uyghurs—what's uh, going on with the Uyghurs, right? You've got this Muslim minority, and they're basically in concentration camps, monitored 24/7. Their organs are harvested for donor uh, donor or, or, uh, opportunities, and uh, the Democrats seem to be very silent. Wouldn't this just be good politics for the China uh, for the Democrats to get on board on on taking China more seriously?
1: Well, the Democrats just can't get out, get out of their own way on this. And a lot of the big uh, businesses that support the Democrat Party are in bed with the Chinese Communist Party. And I can give you a lot of examples to that. But, you know, when, when I was growing up, I, I'm a child of the 90s. I remember movies like Seven Years in Tibet. Um, I right. remember this Free Tibet Movement, which was the cause celeb of Hollywood. And, you know, even as a young conservative, I was behind that because I thought it was absolutely offensive that we allowed China to come into a free state, Tibet, and take it over. Um, But now you don't hear any criticism like you were saying when it comes to the Uyghur population. And when you talk about the organ harvesting, the concentration camps, um, the Democrats treat it as if you're talking about some conspiracy theory and they just will not acknowledge what's going on. Um, And frankly, a lot of members of the uh, Muslim world will not acknowledge it because they're getting money from China through the Belt and Road Initiative. I was in a meeting with the Palestinian Authority when I was in uh, Israel last summer. And I brought this up and I basically said, what are you doing to combat, <laughs> combat the Uyghur situation? And the Palestinian Authority was absolutely silent on it and downplayed it because they are looking to get funding from China, um, more projects in terms of infrastructure and so forth with a Belt and Road initiative. So China has bought silence from the Muslim world on this Um but, but, but I digress. Let's just go back to big business. When you have a huge um, market such as China and what it offers these big businesses, these businesses want access in those markets. And it's very clear when you look at Hollywood in particular. Hollywood wants to get into um Studios in China, they want to sell uh, movies and tickets and DVDs, what have you, in China. So they will kowtow to the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese will actually censor what Hollywood produces, and Hollywood is on board with this. If the United States government would try to do this, um, Hollywood would lose their mind and rightfully so. But when it's the that's CCP right. that's doing it, they kowtow to them. It's, it's everything from uh, changing who the bad guys are. You know, there's a reason why the bad guys in all our movies are from Great Britain, have high British accents. It's because the Brits don't care. But if you were to have, uh, <laughs> if you were to have a villain that was Chinese, the Chinese would care. Um, when yeah. Maverick on the new um, Top, gun, top movement, gun, when he has a Japan, a Japanese flag and a Taiwanese flag on his shoulder, right. the Chinese on the back of his uh, flight jacket, the Chinese Communist Party can say, you got to change those flags. And of course, Hollywood did it. Um, China has also made huge purchases in the United States in, in these industries. They bought, I believe, Paramount uh, Studios, or they have a huge controlling share, and they own amc theaters which is the largest theater chain in the united states so now they can dictate what's even played in the united states so even our small independent films that may not have a global audience or global reach the chinese can now say those films can now not be played in amc theaters so this is a huge pro this is a huge problem also disney uh which owns abc some other news outlets uh, espn for example um, sure will, they will also dictate to these companies and say that if the news isn't reporting a pro-China position, then Disney cannot sell within within China. So the reach of the Chinese Communist Party is very long in the extent to which our American companies, most of those companies that are left-leaning will go to pacify the Chinese is truly uh, truly troubling. And, and when it comes to big tech, if you'll just allow me to talk about big tech, big tech will censor what is on U.S. platforms. So even though the Chinese will not allow a Twitter, you don't even have Twitter in China, right? But we, of course, have in the United States where the Chinese can say that Twitter has to take down um, anything that's offensive against the Chinese Communist Party. They have to take down any post by the Hong Kong Freedom Fighters, anything that's uh, pro-Taiwan independence has to be taken down. And our tech companies will... Uh, cave to those demands. So they will actually do censorship on the part of the Chinese Communist Party, which is which is really troubling.
0: It's remarkable. We had um, last week on our, our show, Chris Fenton, who's a longtime Hollywood executive, and he talked about just how the American Hollywood movie theater theaters kowtow because they don't want to have that next movie not distributed. It's just too big of a market. And one of the things he mentioned is that the percentage that the Chinese now share back in revenues keeps shrinking. So Hollywood gets less and less by giving more and more up of our, you know, American values just to get their movies into the country. He was very, very dismayed by it, and he's a pretty large voice in Hollywood. So um, you're, you're. Uh, he was talking about very many of the same issues that that you are. When we uh, when we look out now and we look at the security uh, status, it seems that China has two uh a, objectives if i understand it correctly from talking to the military experts and that is one to, to create uh, a global uh, military presence and global capabilities uh, beyond nuclear weapons so that's why you see the expansion in the south china sea and all the different things are seeing there and two is to supplant the uh, u.s economy as the number one uh, economy in the world President Trump, I think in 2015, really started to raise the alarm on that at the time. People were laughing at him or uh, calling him a xenophobe. But it it, it seems that increasingly, uh, we heard the FBI director last week, CIA director has said this, China really is a national security threat of of preeminent importance now, right? The intelligence community, politics aside, really agree on that now.
1: Well, yes. So there's a lot of different goals um, the Chinese have. But let's just... Let's just take a step back and talk philo- uh, philosophy for a second. The Chinese want to be the world dominant power, and they want to do it by 2049. Um, not only do they want to be militarily the dominant power, they want to be the dominant economic power in the world. Yeah, after World War II, we set up, um, we set up. I hate to call it the New World Order, but it was a Bretton Woods conference. We decided that we were going to have uh, pro-democracy, pro-free trade, um, and that was really going to be the model of the world. China wants to totally upend that. They want to have not New York, not London be the financial centers, not even Hong Kong. They want to really be uh coming from mainland China and they want to they want to be dictating uh the terms in terms of economic policy. That's number one two they want to be the military dominant power and the Chinese view military and uh dominance not like we do. In just terms of sea, air, and land, that's important. They also view it as um, a war in space. And by space, I mean really controlling satellites. I'm not talking about a Star Wars, style or Star Trek system. They, I'm talking about satellites in space. So they want to control that front as well. And then they want to control our data. And we for too long have ignored the threat of data. So I'm talking about the battles in cyber, um, cyberspace, the ability to come in and attack our power grid. Um, attack, right. um, attack our water and sewage uh, systems to create chaos. These are things that they can do, and they are t- they are looking at. And then, of course, um, corporate espionage and, and military espionage play into all of that because it supports their goals. But if I can just talk about the time frame of this, the Chinese know that it takes about twenty years for the world to forget about atrocities or transgressions. Let me give you a good example: Tiananmen Square. Clearly uh, a travesty. The world basically forgot about it after 20 years. Tibet, clearly another travesty, a free country that, that fell the Chinese Communist Party. The world forgets about 20 years from uh, from the time it happens. So they look at this and they say, okay, we need to have everything wrapped up within 20 years of 2049. Why is that? Because 2049 is the 100th year anniversary of uh, Mao Zedong in the Communists defeating Chiang Kai-shek in the Nationalists, and of course that's when Chiang Kai-shek uh, retreats to the island of of Taiwan. So for them to have an unblemished uh, celebration at one hundredth year mark, for them to now say they are the world superpower by twenty forty nine without any uh, blemishes on their record, they've got to wrap all this up by twenty twenty nine. So we, for whatever reason, think that this is going to be a slow march forward with the Chinese. They'll slowly surpass us. That's not the Chinese timeline. The Chinese are looking at the next few years of taking back Hong Kong, which they which they unfortunately just did a few weeks ago. Um, right. They want to get really aggressive with Taiwan. They are building artificial islands in the Spratlys. So they can uh, take control of the South China Sea, re- reduce our freedom of navigation in international waters. So they want to do all this. By, by the end of the uh, 2020s. So by 2049, they can assert that they are the world's superpower and no one will criticize them.
0: So there is that sense of urgency, which we've seen in Hong Kong, and certainly in the last year, uh, a real deceleration of the loss of autonomy in what was one of the, and it is still one of the great cities in the world. Um, there have been some steps taken in the last few weeks uh, by President Trump um, and Michael Pillsbury and others, Peter Navarro. Uh, after we did a series of stories on just the news on the federal pension funds and the possibility they were going to be invested in Chinese military com- companies, the president um, uh, took executive action to try to stop the board from doing that. Then there's been the revelations that Chinese companies have not been com- has b- have been allowed not to comply with the Sarbanes-Oxley. Accounting rules that like American companies do, and yet they're allowed to continue trading on the uh, marketplace. And of course, the president's taking some executive action there. You've got your very important and uh, Chinese uh, communist citizenship act. What do you think are the next most important policy uh, uh, tenants to get laid down and to get passed and get to get enacted?
1: John, there, there are so many different things we need to do in terms of policy. Um, in, in terms of economics, we've really got to throw sanctions on China, and we need to have unilateral trade deals so we can contain the Chinese economy. We should have you know, strengthen unilateral trade deals with Japan, Taiwan, Singapore, Vietnam, Australia, New Zealand, India, for example. So in terms of trade, we need to do that. We also need to take the fight to China and prevent them from dumping. You know, they dump everything from steel to carbon to aluminum in our market and undercut that. We also have to move these supply chains back to the United States. And to the extent our supply chains are not in the United States, we need to make sure they're diversified. So we're never again relying on China for PPE, ventilators, antibiotics, you name it. So in terms of trade, we got to do that. Militarily, we have got to ramp up our ability to confront china to defend taiwan when the time comes when the chinese try to uh take taiwan um so we need to increase the amount of ships we have in the navy i'm a former naval officer we simply don't have enough ships we need to get to a 355 ship navy uh, and do it as soon as possible and frankly 355 probably isn't enough we should be well in excess of 400 especially if we're going to meet the threat with china which is going to have six aircraft carriers in the very near future um that's that's a real problem um we also need to increase our alliances around the pacific so we should be in um, we should encourage japan to rearm we should be looking at having strengthened relationships and military exercises with india australia and elsewhere Uh, so that's just what we need to do we also need to, to do something about 5g a lot of people don't understand 5G, but 5G, if Huawei is the global 5G provider, it gives the Chinese a back door to spy, uh, not only on Western states, but then it will prop up dictators in the developing world. Because what dictator in a third world country wouldn't love a system where the Chinese come in and put in 5G for that country and then hands over data that it's stolen from its citizens to perpetuate that authoritarian regime of staying in power? Um, and then ideologically, we need to do something to promote democracy and freedom around the world. When, when Hong Kong fell, which I think it, it absolutely fell to the Chinese, the world was silent. We allowed freedom fighters uh, in Hong Kong that wanted nothing then to have democratic elections and to continue their f- uh, thriving free market uh, system. That's all they wanted in and, and the Western world did nothing when the Chinese came in and took over Hong Kong. So we need to make sure we tell our democratic allies that we are going to be there to defend them because it's one thing to take Hong Kong. When the Chinese come after um, Taiwan, it's another thing. And what, when's it going to stop? New Zealand, uh, Japan, uh, South Korea, Hawaii. Right. So this appeasement is not going to work when it comes to President Xi. And we can talk about that. But we've got to do something on the ideological front and to prepare people for understanding the threat that is the growing adversary and the aggressive adversary that is the CCP.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point. And you laid out such a, a, a remarkable agenda. So it's funny, I, um, I was in the green room at Fox maybe about six, eight, ten weeks ago before COVID really became uh, serious. And um, uh, Leader McCarthy was in and we started to talk about uh, China and he said, you know what? If you wanna, you wanna get going on China, talk to Guy. And I now know what he meant. Uh, he, uh, he, he, um, he knows that you, you've got the, uh, the flight stick on this and have been such a, uh, an important voice in uh, raising the sort of concern. We sort of had, have had apathy for too long and we're waking up now in a very critical moment to, uh, to realize how much gain we have to rega- uh, reclaim, how much ground we have to reclaim uh, in this in this competition with China. Well, Congressman, I can't thank you enough for the time you, you had to. I hope to have you back on the show as we track your legislation and other things you're doing. But um, this was such an important conversation. I can't thank you enough.
1: John, thanks for having me on. And whenever you want to come back, I'd love to come on. We've only scratched the surface when it comes to China. So love to come back on.
0: Well, we're we're going to take you up on that offer for sure. So thanks again, sir, and you have a good week. Uh, folks, we'll be right back uh, to wrap things up uh, after this quick commercial break.
1: Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com.
0: I can't believe that our podcast is almost over. Thanks for joining us. I know we're all getting ready for the 4th of July, and I think a lot of what Congressman Guy Rethn-Challer told us today uh, resonates with um, us when we think about the threat that China poses, not just on COVID-19, but on economic supremacy, national security, military supremacy, uh, spying, economic espionage, all the things that Congressman educated us on today. I want to thank him for a really informative, thoughtful interview. And, you know, we're going into the 4th of July where we're going to celebrate another birthday of this great country. And uh, even though this year has been filled with a little bit more strife than usual, uh, I still think that the uh, words of that great wounded warrior, Jim Lechner, should ring in our minds, in our hearts this holiday weekend. Yes, we have a lot of problems. We've got to get over COVID 19. we got to fix the racial disparities that are dividing our country right now. But, We still have the greatest constitution, the greatest democracy, the greatest leaders that any country has ever uh, put together, assembled. Uh, And yeah, we can topple some statues, we can burn some flags, and it will not harm this great democracy because we're bigger, stronger, smarter than all of the strife that is facing us today. And um, I just want to thank Jim Lechner for that extraordinary essay and that very important reminder that in a battlefield, in a foxhole, you don't look at the face, the color, the creed, the race. You, you don't even look at the rank. You look for that American flag and that camouflage because that's what defines Americans. And um, we need to remember that as we go in and celebrate this great Independence Day. I'm John Solomon. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. We hope that you check Just the News out often. We've got breaking news, exclusive interviews, exclusive investigative exposés. Check us out. Stay informed. We'll be back on Thursday with another big interview, this time with one of the figures who was maligned in the Russia case that you probably haven't heard of. You're going to want to listen to this woman's story. She played a big role in the Mike Flynn scandal, but a lot of what happened to her has stayed behind the scenes. It is a troubling, scary, awful story about how people jump to conclusions, smear names, abuse law enforcement powers. And then when it all turns out to be bogus, they move on with no apology, no rectification, no compensation, no restoration of one's reputation. You are definitely going to want to listen to this uh, uh, podcast on Thursday with a mystery guest who had a lot of pain and suffering unnecessarily in the Russia collusion delusion. I will bring that to you, exclusive interview on Thursday.